Please join me in the call to worship from Psalm 95, verse 6. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God and Maker. Let us rise and worship the Lord. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. Amen. Grace and peace to you from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. In connection with the sermon I intend to read from uh, for Lord's Day 48, we're going to read from Matthew 13, verses 44 to 52, and we also will read from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20. To 28. Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who in finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers and threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained by the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And secondly, from 1 Corinthians 15. In Corinthians 15, starting at verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of, to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, It is plain that he is expected who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. The sermon I chose is in connection with the Lord's Prayer from where we left off with Reverend Chase a little while back. and is on the second petition. Jean 
on page 561, if you'd like to follow, Lord's Day 48. What is the second petition? Your kingdom come. That is, so rule us by your word and spirit that more and more we submit to you. Preserve and increase your church. Destroy the works of the devil, every power that raises itself against you, and every conspiracy against your holy word. Do all this until the fullness of your kingdom comes, wherein you shall be all in all. After the sermon, we'll read or we'll sing from Psalm 104, verses 1 and 8. Beloved, beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what does it mean to seek God's kingdom? We often find in evangelical circles that churches promote special kingdom projects. It is very popular, especially many young people, to join a young group with a certain kingdom project. There are youth groups who travel around the country making music and such and say that they are doing a service year to, for Jesus. And there are various youth organizations, each with its own kingdom project. Often they will quote to you the command of Christ that we have to seek his kingdom but what does it mean? Does it mean that we, that we must each choose for ourselves a special kingdom project, something to which we devote a full year, or maybe even every day after hours? Dear congregation, seeking God's kingdom is not a special project, apart from the normal Christian life. We either seek God's kingdom in all we do, or we do not seek his kingdom at all. The second petition your kingdom come is not limited to a, circle, a certain religious sphere of our life, to a certain time, or to a certain project for Jesus. Neither must each of us seek to have his own special vision for the kingdom. Dear congregation, God has given us his holy law, and there is no service to God apart from the obedience to his law. Here in Lord's Day 48, our petition for the coming of God's kingdom and are seeking after the kingdom is described, first of all, with this petition. Our Father in heaven, so rule us by your word and spirit that more and more we submit to you. Father, make us obedient to you. And from this flows the next, your will be done. The first three petitions, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, are in essence one petition seeking God's glory only, submitting our whole life to him alone and seeking to do only his will. Now, God's heavenly and spiritual kingdom becomes very concrete and visible in the gathering of the church and in the daily life of its members. Seeking God's kingdom is, therefore, at the same time, seeking the well-being and the increase of the church. Thus we confess here in Lord's Day 48 that with this petition, your kingdom come, we also pray for the church. Preserve and increase your church, seeking the kingdom also, fighting against church deformation, and seeking to subject all things to God's glory only. Destroy every conspiracy against 
your holy word. Seeking God's kingdom is also a constant fight for the truth and the guarding against deviation from God's word. So then, what did our Lord Jesus command us when he commanded us to pray for the coming of his kingdom? What is the kingdom, and how does it come? God's word comes to you with this theme, praying for the coming of God's kingdom. We will know, first, which kingdom is meant, second, how the kingdom comes, and third, that we are to seek the kingdom. I'll repeat that. We will know which kingdom is meant, how the kingdom comes, that we are to seek the kingdom. And it's all part of praying for the coming of God's kingdom. Which kingdom is meant? The expression, the kingdom of God, has a very specific meaning in, Christ, in Scripture. While God, as Lord and King, rules over all the earth, creation, not all of creation is part of his kingdom. Although God has authority and power over all the creation, not all of creation is included in his kingdom. The kingdom of God does not include the sinful and unbelieving world. No, the kingdom of God is his new creation in Christ. The unbeliever does not belong to the kingdom of God or to the kingdom of heaven. Only through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ do we enter this kingdom. Whenever scripture speaks of the kingdom of God, it deals with the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom is that we, who by nature does not belong to the kingdom of God, may enter this kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. Christ himself is the king of this kingdom. And therefore, the coming of the kingdom is identified with the coming of the Lord in his office as the Christ, the anointed king. It means the kingdom of God comes only through God's salvation in Christ. Through Christ, God gathers a church for himself in the midst of a hostile world. The coming of the kingdom is therefore a conquest in which the kingdom of God stands over the, against the kingdom of darkness. In the, kingdom, in the coming of the kingdom... Christ is portrayed as a warrior conquering the enemy and destroying the works of the devil. Through the saving power of Christ, his kingdom expands over all the earth, till finally, at his second coming, the whole earth will indeed be cleansed and restored to be his kingdom, when all who are in Christ will joyfully serve and obey him as their king. Yes, in this kingship of Christ, becomes yes, in this, the kingship of Christ becomes manifest in our own lives when we hear and do his commandments. As our priestly king saves us unto a new life of obedience that we may serve him as king. Therefore, seeking God's kingdom is at the same time seeking his righteousness, seeking to do his holy will. Now, to enter the kingdom of God is to enter eternal life. But although we are now already through faith, heirs of this, of this kingdom, it will only be on the day of Christ's coming that we will inherit this kingdom in all its glory. In the history of this world, the coming of the kingdom can be distinguished in two stages, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, Christ was promised. In the New Covenant, he has come. And when he, the Messiah, the anointed king, has come, it, might, it may rightly be said that his kingdom has come, but it has not yet come in its final glory. We look forward to his second coming, which will be the final consummation of the coming of his kingdom. God's kingdom is not yet present in its final glory. It is yet to come. 
And therefore, with great desire and longing, we pray, your kingdom come. God's kingdom has come with the coming of Christ, and through the preaching of the gospel, it is expanding over the earth until Christ will return on the clouds of heaven in great power and glory. Thus the kingdom has come, is presently coming, and will come. And thus we pray two things. First of all, we pray for growth and expansion of his kingdom in this world. Secondly, we pray for the world to come, the new heavens and the new earth, where righteousness dwells, and where all will obey God's will with perfect obedience. We pray for the coming of that day when God in one moment, in the twinkling of an eye, will make all things new and holy and perfect. With longing eyes, we press forward towards that day when we will see Christ as he is and will be like unto his image and when God will be the all in all. Now, all of this is called the gospel of the kingdom. John the Baptist announces the kingdom of of heaven is near and when Christ starts his preaching on earth, he announces the saying, the kingdom of heaven is near. All this preaching is summarized as the gospel of the kingdom. But did you note how this gospel of the kingdom was introduced? Neither John the Baptist nor our Lord Jesus introduces the gospel of the kingdom as if it is a new teaching. No, without any introductory explanation, the expression kingdom and kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven is used as if everyone knew the meaning of this expression. And never does anyone ask him, Lord, what did you mean when you said the kingdom is near? Or what is the kingdom? They knew. They knew what he was talking about because he was simply announcing the fulfillment of what God's people have been waiting for. For many ages they have been waiting for this kingdom to, this kingdom to come, and now it has come. They were expecting the Messiah and his kingdom. The believing Jew, this was all his expectation. When the Messiah comes, then Israel will be delivered and restored, and how they long for this kingdom to come. Dear congregation, the gospel, the good news, is that this kingdom has come, is coming, and will come. For Christ has come, his word is proclaimed, and his return is at hand. It is the well-known kingdom that has been promised long before. The son of David has come, the Messiah will reign on the throne of David forever over the house of Jacob. This kingdom was already described by Moses. Although God rules over all of the creation, he became in a special, redemptive sense the king of Israel. He became their king by virtue of the covenant and thus he made Israel for himself a kingdom of priests. The Lord spoke to Israel and said, If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be into me a kingdom of priests. We read that in Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6. Right from the start of Israel's history, God is called their king in Deuteronomy 33, verse 5. When Israel, many years later, asked Samuel to anoint a king over them, the Lord told Samuel that this request for an earthly king, that in this request for an earthly king, Israel was rejecting God's reign over them, in 1 Samuel 8, verse 7. The Lord exercised his kingdom in Israel by the giving and administration of his law. Yet Israel transgressed the law, and so because of their sin, went into slavery again. They had to serve their enemies and even went into captivity. But the Lord remained faithful to his covenant. He would again deliver and restore Israel. 
And so we promise them an eternal king who will reign on the throne of David forever, the Messiah. In this king, all the promises of the covenant will find its fulfillment. When this king comes, God will create new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells and God will make his dwelling among men. It starts with a promise to David that one of his sons will be an everlasting king. In 1 Chronicles 17, verse 14, I will establish him in my house and my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. In that text, Israel is called God's house and God's kingdom, and the promised Messiah will reign in God's kingdom forever. In the language of the New Testament, Christ will be king of the church forever. The Lord reveals this promise further through Isaiah, saying, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of this government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with the judgment and justice from that time forth, forward, even forever. The king will be the Prince of Peace, when he comes. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child shall put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be the full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Let me read that in Isaiah 11, verse 8 and 9. When this Prince of Peace comes, paradise will be restored. This everlasting kingdom of righteousness and peace will be given to the Son of Man. The prophet Daniel, Daniel saw the coming of this king and said, And behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of the heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him, his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. That was in Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. And not only will the Son of Man receive the kingdom, but his kingdom will also be the gift to his people. For the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever. In chapter, in verse 18 of Daniel 7. And thus, the promise of the Messiah and his kingdom continued until finally the angel could announce his birth to Mary. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom there will be no end. In Luke 1 verses 31 to 33. Dear congregation, when Christ started his preaching on earth, he proclaimed the gospel of this kingdom. He is the Christ. He, sorry. He is the Christ, the King of Israel, King of Zion, King of his church. After his ascension into heaven to take a seat into the throne of God, the apostle Peter preaches and says, "Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, in Acts 2, verse 36. Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come, 
Revelations 12, verse 10. So then, the coming of Christ was indeed the coming of God's kingdom. But while the Messiah was said to be the king of Israel, it becomes clear in the New Testament that the true Israel includes all nations. Christ will be king of his church, and those who will enter his kingdom will come from east and west, and from every tribe and tongue and nation. And in the New Testament, it becomes even more clear that this is no earthly kingdom, but the kingdom of heaven. Dear congregation, again, we understand then that the kingdom of God will be the ultimate fulfillment of both the old and the new covenant. When Christ commands us to pray for the coming of the kingdom, he commands us to pray for the fulfillment of all God's promises. But how will the promise of the covenant be fulfilled? How does the kingdom of God come? What exactly should we pray for when we pray, your kingdom come? And we note that in the second place. How the kingdom comes. We saw already that the kingdom is coming in two stages. The coming of the kingdom is a present reality and a future event. As a present reality, kingdom is now gradually growing and expanding. As a future event, the kingdom, the coming of the kingdom will be no gradual event, but a sudden renewal of all things on the day of Christ's coming. Both the present reality and the future event are called by Scripture the coming of the kingdom. These two aspects of the coming of the kingdom, present and future, are described in the kingdom parables of our Lord. So in Mark 4, verses 26 to 29, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how, for the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle, and because the harvest, because the harvest has come. There, as in many of the parables, both the present and the future coming of the kingdom are described. The gradual growth of the kingdom is compared to a vegetable leaf, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head, and then it starts to ripen. Then there is also a future aspect, the day of harvest. But the gradual growth of the, and the day of the harvest belong together as part of the same process, and thus we may speak of the organic coming of the kingdom and the eschatological coming of the king. The organic coming of the kingdom is a gradual process here and now in this life. And as we pray and work for the God's kingdom, the eschatological kingdom coming of the kingdom is the day when Christ will appear on the clouds of heaven. So first of all, we are praying for the growth of God's kingdom here and now in this world. And at the same time, we are praying for Christ's return on the clouds of heaven. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, as we read in Revelation 22, verse 20. Now, the kingdom of God is sometimes also called the kingdom of heaven. This expression, kingdom of heaven, makes clear that it is no earthly kingdom. It is not of this world. Its origin and power is from God in heaven. And therefore, since the kingdom comes through the power of the Spirit, its coming also has an, an invisible spiritual aspect. And unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In John 3, verse 3. 
my kingdom is not of this world. I'm in the right spot. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not from here. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. In John 18, verse 36 and 37. Jesus also said, The kingdom of God does not come with visible signs. The kingdom of God is within you. Luke 17, verse 20 and 21. However, the kingdom of God is not altogether invisible. The kingdom of Christ becomes visible in this world, in the gathering of his church, and in the life of each member. The growth of the church is not an invisible working of the Spirit in the hearts of individuals. It becomes manifest in a church submitted to Christ and his word. It is visible when her members gather at a certain address, and it is visible when they, as citizens of the kingdom, renewed unto a life of obedience, live a new life unto God, serving and glorifying him. There is therefore a visible and an invisible aspect to the kingdom, but it is one and the same kingdom. When we pray, your kingdom come, we pray for the work of God in the hearts of men, but we also pray for the fruit which becomes visible in a new life of obedience. We also pray for the gathering of the church, and that the Lord may sustain and preserve his church in this world. And finally, the astrological coming of the kingdom will indeed be visible to all when Christ will appear on the clouds of heaven in great power and glory. Brothers and sisters, when we pray for the coming of the kingdom, now in this world and also for its consummation on the day of Christ's coming, our prayer includes positively the petition that the gospel may be preached unhindered with, and with boldness, and that God will continue to gather his church and help us to submit our lives to him alone, but also negatively to destroy the work of the devil, as we confess here in Lord's Day 48. Our Father in heaven, destroy the works of the devil, every power that raises itself against you, and every conspiracy against your holy word. Together with the Apostle Paul, we say, even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, then let him be accursed, in Galatians 1, verse 8. And together with David we pray, Do I not hate them, O Lord? You hate me. And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Psalm 139, verses 21 and 22. When we pray for the coming of Christ's kingdom, we pray that he may destroy his enemies and crush them as a potter's vessel. Yes, the coming of the kingdom is a conquest, a war between Christ and Satan, a war in which we are also involved as soldiers of Christ. The victory belongs to Christ and to those who are his, but although the outcome is sure, the battle is not over yet. We have not yet arrived. Therefore, we pray with many tears, and in the midst of many struggles, with great longing, our Father in heaven, your kingdom come. Dear congregation, the coming of the kingdom is the coming of God himself. He is the king of the kingdom and the consummation of his kingdom and will be when he will be all in all. The kingdom is centered on God himself, even in the glory of his being. To seek the kingdom of God is to seek God himself. 
And we note this in the third place, that we are to seek the kingdom. Because the kingdom is centered in God himself and in his glory, it is presented by our Lord Jesus as the highest purpose of our life to seek God's kingdom. Now, if the coming of the king was anything less than the coming of the fullness of God's glory, yes, if the coming of the king was anything less than the coming of God himself, it would have been idolatry to seek it with all our heart and soul as the highest purpose of our life. But, since the kingdom of God is about God himself, his dominion, and his glory, therefore we are commanded to seek it with all our heart and with all our strength. When the scribe said to Jesus to love God with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your soul and with all your strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices, Jesus said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. We read that in Mark 12, verse 33. Because that is the heart of the kingdom. That is the summary and the of the law and the prophets. In this kingdom, God stands in the center and all things are directed to the hallowing of his name. And therefore, when Christ speaks of the task which the Father has given to him, he summarizes his entire ministry on earth with the words, I have glorified you on the earth. In John 17, verse 4. When the Lord instructs his disciples to seek first of all the kingdom of God and his righteousness, in Matthew 6, verse 33, then he does not add righteousness as something that has to be sought in addition to this kingdom. No. With the word righteousness, he gives us a more precise specification of what the kingdom of God consists in. God and his righteousness is the norm to which we must conform. God must reign supremely, not only by the submission of all things to himself, but also by filling all with the glory of his own holiness. That will be the consummation of the kingdom when he will be all in all. It means that he will so completely rule us and fill us with the spirit that his dominion will be complete in everyone. Brothers and sisters, are you partaking in this kingdom and in this conquest? Do you cause the kingdom of cause the coming of the kingdom by your prayers? Has the coming of the kingdom become the sole purpose of your life? Are you seeking God's dominion with all your heart and soul and mind and with all your strength? Are all your actions directed to this end? Or has the coming of the kingdom come to us nothing more than a special project on which we spend our spare time? Through Christ, our only desire has become to glorify God. That was the first petition, hallowed be your name. From this one desire to seek the glory of God in all that we do flows also the second petition, your kingdom come. This heavenly and spiritual kingdom becomes very concrete and visible in the gathering of the church and in the daily life of each member when more and more we submit ourselves to God in obedience to his word. Seeking God's kingdom is at the same time seeking the well-being of the church and the increase of the church by the preaching of God's word and therefore, in the first place, supporting the ministry of the word in every way. Seeking the kingdom also involves fighting against church defamation and seeking to subject all things to God's word. Seeking God's kingdom happens, first of all, in your own home, praying and doing your daily task, 
You seek the kingdom of God by having children and by raising them for the Lord. And you seek the kingdom when you do their washing and cook their meals. Yes, it is a very real and concrete in all our doings, for it has become all of our desire. We seek God's kingdom, not each one in his own way as a private individual, but as one people united in Christ, united in his word, a visible gathering in whom God's kingdom finds visible expression as he fills us with his Holy Spirit and sanctifies his own special people to serve and obey and honor him as our God and King. And thus we pray to our Father in heaven, so rule us by your word and spirit that more and more we submit to you. Preserve and increase your church. Destroy the works of the devil, every power that raises itself against you and every conspiracy against your holy word. Do all this until the fullness of your kingdom comes, wherein you shall be all in all. Amen. Receive the blessing of the Lord and depart in peace. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.